Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We want to welcome you to our special program series uh, for November 9, 2010. We are in the auditorium of AccessibleWorld.org. When you write an email or letter, do you wonder what rules should be followed in specific situations? In our desire to use correct punctuation, do we overdo the use of commas? When should they be used? Why have dashes become so popular? And what is their purpose? When should hyphens be used and how do they differ from dashes? When is it proper to write time-consuming instead of time-consuming? Are there hints we can use to make our writing more clear and concise? Have the rules of paragraph structure changed? When should titles be underlined? What rules should be used for envelopes? Did you know there are rules for whether numbers should be written out in words or in numbers? Belle McGrose, a retired technology teacher, will share her expertise on these and many other questions. With an ever-growing need for effective communication, it is important that proper punctuation be used. And I thank you for coming because this gives us an opportunity to brush up on rules of writing. And there are those here who just love discussing and learning proper rules, we, and we welcome you. So without further ado, I'm going to turn the microphone over to the book lady, Bonnie Bloth, who will introduce and talk with our honored guest. So Bonnie, the microphone is yours. Thank you, Bob. I'd like to say just a bit about how this came about. Velma has been working with me on doing some formatting, and I have learned a lot from her, and that's how I started to learn about some of these rules. And I realized there was an awful lot I didn't know. There was an awful lot I had never learned. I was fascinated with it, so I suggested to her one day that might like to do a presentation, and that I certainly would like her to do one for Accessible World, and she said that she wasn't sure that she would have enough to say, and I, of course, assured her that she had plenty to say, and that was how this all began. Velma is a very good friend of mine, and I admire her very much. She has been a teacher for many years and recently retired, uh, is the mother of two children, has a wonderful husband, and she's got a wonderful sense of humor and really loves her students. So I just want you to know that before I turn this over to Velma for Velma to begin. She's going to cover all kinds of things tonight. We are going to do the presentation and then turn it over for questions. And at that point, if you have a specific question about one of the things she has covered or one of the areas she's covered, we will go back and she will answer your questions. So, Velma, welcome. Well, welcome. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. Uh, Bonnie and I have known each other, what, about three, four years? And, Probably about um, four or five. Maybe it's been. Time flies when you're having fun. Yes. But anyway, yeah. uh, I've enjoyed, you know, I, I taught for 38 years and I loved every minute of it. Well, there were a couple minutes that were a little rough, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, let me give a little bit of my background. I'm not an English major, as I told Bonnie this afternoon, although I always 
enjoyed English. I did uh, consider majoring in it, but I went to Kent, I graduated from Kent State University with a degree in music and business both. I was the only one on campus at the time with that combination. And um, I taught music a couple years, and then I got a job in business, and I really felt that was my niche. And so I went back and got my master's in business. And so for 36 more years, after the first two in music, I uh, taught uh, business subjects and a lot of business English, so that way I got to use my English. And the last few years, I really enjoyed um, working with uh, technology. And you can imagine, when I started teaching in 1968, as to how far we, we have come in technology in all those years, it's been an exciting time. I started on the manual typewriter, and I visited uh, uh, the Smithsonian one uh, time while I was teaching on the manuals and saw the Smithsonian as one of the antiques on display. So anyway, we started there, and I ended up with uh, uh, in where we are today, and it's just amazing. Um, I worked in the last few years with Business Professionals of America, which is an organization for students, uh, and they sponsor skills competitions. And uh, I enjoyed getting students ready for competitions. We competed on the regional level, and then as students did well there, we went on to state level. And I was fortunate enough that we had a couple students go on to national levels at two different times. I took a student one time to Orlando, Florida, to compete uh, in Microsoft Interactive Skills, where he took the Microsoft uh, Office package, and, and he started with, had to start with a letter and insert with that a, um, a spreadsheet into that and uh, then put a database, involve a database, and send this letter to uh, a list of addresses automatically and then put this all on a PowerPoint presentation. So it was interacting the Microsoft uh, Office package. And, of course, I've also trained students for job skills, such as uh, co competing with other students from other schools on filling out a resume and doing an application and going for a job interview. And that was a lot of fun. And we also had competitions in desktop publishing and uh, word processing, spreadsheets, database, PowerPoint, accounting, computerized accounting, making business plans, uh, business presentations, public speaking, and the list goes on and on. So that gives a little bit of my background before I don't want to use it all on me. I want to quickly get to the first topic I planned. Is that good, Is that good, Bonnie? That's great. Fantastic. Okay. Let's, let's talk. Go for oh, it. Pardon me? Go for it. Uh, let's, I'm talk about, uh, let's talk about email structure. Uh, the, this is the day of emails, and uh, most of my correspondence is done with emails, and I assume the same way with yours. And um, as we talk about emails, of course, uh, um, the subject line is the first thing we want to think about. Uh, the subject line should always be in all capital letters, not just the initial caps, not just the first word of each, letter of each word, but the whole line should be in all caps. The first line of our message should uh, have the person's name, uh, first and last name if it's business, or only first name if it's a personal email. And 
Then, after the person's name, we should enter two times. The first enter puts us down on a blank line. The second enter takes us to the first line of the paragraph. So, therefore, we're leaving a blank line between the person that's going to be receiving our email and our first paragraph. And, of course, we'll key in our first paragraph. And uh, if in, maybe our email only consists of one paragraph. But if it has more, then, of course, we enter twice in between each paragraph. We don't indent. That's a waste of time now. Everything is supposed to be as quickly and efficiently as possible, so we do not indent. And, um, and Bonnie and I had mentioned about uh, indenting, even though we don't indent in the email, uh, using your tab key does your indention. And her and I were talking this afternoon. Each time you hit that tab key, that indents an automatic one-half inch. But you can change that one-half inch to be any amount of indention you want. But the standard uh, setting is one-half inch each time you hit that, that, uh, that tab key. But as I said, we're not indenting our emails. So when we finish our last paragraph of our email, we'll enter again two times, putting that blank line after our last paragraph, and put our name. And of course, again, if it's a business email, we'll want to put our first and last name. If it's a personal email, of course, just our first name. And, of course, you may want to include some additional information, such as your phone number or your address, any other information that you wish to follow your name. And that takes care of the email, unless you can think of something else, Bonnie. Not right now. We'll see if okay. they do later. All right. Uh, let's go on and, uh, and talk a little bit about commas. Um, I think I love commas. I think they make reading so much easier, but I think they're overused. Some people just assume that every sentence has got to have at least one comma in, sometimes more, and that isn't always the case. Um, I think um, whenever many people think when they see uh, a, a sentence that has an and, a but, or an or in it, there's got to automatically be a comma. Well, and, but, or, or joins two complete sentences. So if you have a complete sentence at the beginning that can stand all by itself, it has its own subject and predicate, and then on the other side of the and, but, or, or, on the right side, if you have another complete sentence with a subject and a predicate there, then those are joined together with the conjunction, then yes, you do want a comma, before that and, but, or, or. But if that last part of the sentence does not have a subject, which is often the case, such as in the example, Bobby huffed and puffed, but finished the race. Bobby huffed and puffed is a complete sentence. Finished the race is not a complete sentence because it doesn't have a subject. Who, com- who finished the race? It's joined together with but, so it won't take a comma because the second part of the sentence doesn't have a subject. So I hope that's an example that that clarifies that. And, of course, we are probably all familiar with the sentences that begin with after, although, if, while, and when. Anytime 
a sentence starts with any of those five words, we know there's going to be a comma there. We know somewhere in the sentence there's going to be a comma. And it's going to appear right before the subject of your sentence. For example, after she and I left, Cliff and Pam sang and danced. Well, Cliff and Pam are your subjects there. So we know this, this, the comma is going to go in front of Cliff. After you finish keying the report, comma, please give it to Mr. Kent. There is a complete sentence. Please give it to Mr. Kent because you is understood there. So, of course, there would be the comma before please. That's kind of a little example I wanted to throw in because you is understood. Another comma uh, usage uh, that often I see mistaken is in a sentence when we have, like, when July 4th, 2010 is used in a sentence. 2010 should have a comma before and after it. Many times, or most of the time, I don't see the comma after it. Everyone's very familiar with the July 4th comma, but forget about the comma that should appear after the 2010 as well. Um, two, par- uh, two or more parallel adjectives is another one that uh, people struggle with. The big, loud bully. Big, comma, loud bully. The big, powerful car. Big, comma, powerful car. The small red fox, no comma. If you can insert an and between the two words that modify your noun, then you know there should be a comma there, such as the big and loud bully. And fits in there. The big and powerful car. Cynthia played a black lacquered grand piano. Black and lacquered? No. Small red, small and red fox? No. So you just give it the test of whether and will, and will fit in there as to whether you should use the comma. The comma takes the place of the and. Uh, let me uh, talk a little bit about semicolons. A lot of people don't understand when to use semicolons. Semicolons join two complete sentences without the conjunction. We talked a while ago about the and, but, or, or that joins two complete sentences. But when we don't have that and, but, or, or, then we join the sentences with a semicolon. For example... Twelve of the new shrubs have died, semicolon. Forty-eight are doing quite well. Two complete sentences joined together with a semicolon. Joe owns one acre of parcel A, semicolon, complete sentence. That is almost 50%, a complete sentence, without the conjunction joining them. All right, moving on to hyphens and dashes. This is one that uh, Bonnie and I uh, spent some time uh, um, discussing and uh, laboring over at times. I fell in love with this part. 
what's that? I fell in love with this part. Yes, this is. This is. It's, I found this very interesting. Use the hyphen only when it's followed by a noun, such as time-consuming job, time-consuming, and remember, there's no space before or after the hyphen. It's just T-I-M-E hyphen, B-O-N-S-U-M-I-N-G. And we put the hyphen between time and consuming when it is followed by a noun, such as job. But if we had this sentence, the job is time-consuming, period. There's no, there's no te- noun after time-consuming, so we do not hyphenate it. Well-known author is another one using that same uh, well-known is hyphenated when author comes after it, but the author is well-known, period, no hyphen. And, of course, there are lots of uh, 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 other illustrations I could use. Uh, there are some, uh, like Four Star Hotel is uh, uh, a hyphen, always hyphenated, uh, when, no matter how it's used. It stays as a group. It's a coined uh, hyphenated word. Same with three-bedroom condos. And um, another, uh, with the three-bedroom condos, condos brings to mind, if you're going to have a sentence such as, I have one bedroom condos, two bedroom condos, or three bedroom condos for purchase, rather than repeating bedroom condos three times, we can go one hyphen, comma, two hyphen, comma, and three hyphen, bedroom condos, and that way we just say the bedroom condos after the third one. And the you other- said, Velma, that four-star hotel, you write the number four, right? Yes. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, the number four would be four-star. Same with uh, three-bedroom condos. That would all, all, always be a number. And two-ply tires and 50-point uh, quiz, all of those would always be figures, numbers that they were used. Um, and, of course, we have our compound nouns such as spin-off, spin-off, teacher-counselor, teacher-counselor, AFL-CIO with a hyphen, AFL-CIO. And um, hyphens are also used in sentences such as uh, uh, we will be discussing that from May 1st through the 8th. One hyphen eight. And of course, we're using figures always for the date. Getting into dashes, a lot of people get confused and think hyphens and dashes are the same thing. A dash is twice as long as a hyphen. And on your keyboard, there is no dash on your keyboard. But we make a dash by pressing down the hyphen two times. And, of course, your hyphen is up on the second key to the left of your backspace key in the very top row, right to the right of your zero key. And it's without any shift. It's the hyphen. So if you want to make it a, a dash, you just hit it twice. And the dash, just like the hyphen, has no spaces before or after it. Now, some examples for dashes. They're sometimes used for emphasis. For example, the skater dash 
in a clown costume. Dash. Dazzled with fancy footwork. Now, we could have put commas around the clown costume. That was just some extra information in there. But we wanted to emphasize it a little bit more than a comma would have. So if we put dashes on each side of the clown costume, it gives it more emphasis. A dash can also be used as a change of thought. For example, we may tour the Orient dash, but I'm getting ahead of my story. See, it interrupted my thought about the Orient. I put a dash there. We may tour the Orient dash, but I'm getting ahead of my story. A third usage for the dash would be to emphasize an author or a direct quotation. For example, a quote from Shakespeare, all the world's a stage. Then after we put that quote, we want to emphasize that it was from Shakespeare, so we put a dash right in front of Shakespeare's name. That'd be two hyphens, remember, hyphen, hyphen, Shakespeare. No space between the two hyphens and Shakespeare. And that just draws attention to the author's name. Now, um, also, if you have a poem, and at the end of your poem, uh, enter twice after the last line of your poem, and put that dash in front of the author's name for, uh, and usually that's, that's put about, you start it halfway across. You don't put it right at the left margin. You start it like halfway uh, through the line under the poem. That would, you could use your tab to get to there. Also, dashes are used to set off expressions that break off or interrupt a speech. Jay, don't get too close to the dash. Oh, I spoke too late. So that interrupted, you were trying to warn Jay. Jay, don't get too close to the dash. No sense in finishing it. It's too late. So you show that interruption in your dash. I'm sure you've seen this happen in books that you've read. Or if a presenter a presenter is having trouble getting started, like maybe like me, they're kind of stumbling on some words. Today, dash, er, dash, uh, dash goes the hesitancy of the speaker. Okay, I hope we're clear on dashes there and hyphens and the difference between the two. And um, colons. Let's look at colons. There's a couple uses for the colons. Uh, they are used to introduce a listing. If you, I, when I see a colon, I know that there's going to be one of two things follow that colon. It's either going to be a listing or it's going to be a question or a long quotation. For example, these poets are my favorites, colon. I'm going to list my poets, Shelley, Keats, Frost, and I could go on listing them. If I'm going to introduce a question, the question is this, colon, did you study for the test? See, that colon told me I was ready to, I needed to pay close attention. It was emphasizing what I was going to say. And, of course, the colon is used between hours and minutes. 
that we express in figures like 10.15 a.m. or 10.15 p.m., so on. Next, Velma, uh, talk also, Velma, also uh, remember to uh, talk about, we, we talked about the idea of 10 p.m. Remember the example you gave? Yes, yes. Uh, that now might be a good time to mention that uh, when, when we're talking about an even hour, like 10 a.m. or 10 p.m., don't bother putting the colon and the two zeros if it's an even hour. Just put one zero base p.m. or two base a.m., whatever. If it's an even hour, that other is not necessary. Only use your colon and your minutes when you have uneven hours. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, apostrophes? Uh, there's a lot we could go into apostrophes, um, contractions, uh, leaving out letters, uh, making uh, plural of figures, letters, or words, such as uh, the child has too many sevens on his page, seven apostrophe S, or uh, uh, he had three ones, two fives, and seven tens, tens being T-E-N apostrophe S, uh, ABCs, ABC apostrophe S. But when you're talking about decades, like the 1960s, you don't use apostrophe S when you're talking about decades. It's just not 1960S without the apostrophe. Um, and, of course, we show possession, and I don't know whether you want to get into all the possession. Uh, I think it's... Sometimes people wonder about uh, when there's two things showing possession, though, like Lewis and Clark's expedition, uh, we only put the possession after Clark's, Lewis and Clark's, Clark's apostrophe S, because Lewis and Clark both possessed that, that expedition together as a unit, where if we uh, have the secretaries and the treasurer's reports, they each have their own report. So they each need an apostrophe S after secretaries and after treasurers. Um, ellipsis, that's something that uh, maybe you had along the way or maybe you didn't. An ellipsis consists of three periods with a space in between each one. An ellipsis is used when you're, you're quoting someone or something, and you don't want to use the whole quote. You want to, It's not necessary to use the whole quote. Maybe there's just only a part of it that really applies to what you're talking about. So in place of what you left out, you'll put those three periods. Uh, then sometimes you'll see an ellipsis with four periods. If what you left out is at the end of the quote. The fourth period is the period at the end of the sentence. But it, too, will be uh, space, period, space, period, space, period, space, period. And then treat it like the end of a sentence and space one or two more times and go on to your next sentence. So I hope that's clear. Three is leaving out something in the middle. Four is leaving out something at the end and using the fourth one as the period. Uh, titles of books. 
when you're using titles of books in sentences, you have three options as to how you're going to uh, type in that, that title. Of course, the most acceptable one and the most used one is underlining, underlining that title and capitalizing the first letter of each word. The second most used is all caps. Just put, you can put down your caps lock key and just type the whole thing, every single letter of every word in all caps, and that's for titles of books. The third one is italicized, and you can italicize the name of the book. Now, of course, when we're talking about a magazine, um, this would include magazines also, treated the same way as books. Newspapers, names of magazines and newspapers, both treated the same as titles of books. I always use the illustration uh, with my students as the ones that have their own covers. Their own front and back covers are the ones that you're going to consider the most important. Like even a newspaper has a front page and a back page. So it's treated just like a book. So does a magazine have a front and back cover. So any article, though, within those magazines or within those newspapers are in quotes. Uh, same way with the names of films or movies are quotations. Plays are quotations. Poems, songs, television programs, and unpublished works such as theses and dissertations that haven't been published, use quotation marks also. So really you're only ones that are underlined and all caps and italicized are your books, magazines, and newspapers. Okay. Um, Bonnie, where, where do I go from here? Where, anything I think else? We're, uh, I, go to the number rules? Yes. Okay. Or I did. I w- wanted to mention about envelopes too, but I know most of you don't probably mail much in the mail now. But uh, Bonnie and I were talking one day about when you do address an envelope, that you need to put your address in all capital letters, all caps, so that the automated sorting equipment at the post office can u- be used, and your mail should go through more quickly. Uh, it doesn't read the punctu- it doesn't read punctuation. It doesn't read lowercase letters, so it needs to be sorted by hand. The uh, the uh, postal department sent out uh, some years ago uh, a request that everybody, when possible, do them in all caps with no punctuation. All right, the number rules now. Yes, I think they're fun. Okay, the only part of math I like. Okay, the only part of that, <laughs> uh, I think these are interesting. Uh, there is a right way of, of when to spell out numbers and when to use figures. And um, we spell a number when it, all, when it begins the beginning of a sentence. We always have to spell it out. Even if there's another number within the sentence that we're going to use figures for, we need to spell it out, such as I think I used the uh, sentence earlier, 12 of the new shrubs have died. Twelve needs to be spelled out, T-W-E-L-V-E. Forty-eight are doing quite well. Forty-eight, you'll use the figures, and by figures I mean numbers, your, your top number row. 
or your keypad over to the right, whichever you use. Rule number two, use figures for numbers above 10 and for numbers from 1 to 10 when they're used with numbers above 10. Okay, now that sounds a little confusing. Give you an answer or uh, an example. There are 10 desks, 6 chairs, and 2 books in the classroom. All three of those numbers, 10, 6, and 2, are less than 10. So they should all be, all be spelled out, T-E-N-S-I-X-T-W-O. She ordered 8 word processors, 14 computers, and 4 printers. Normally, we'd spell out the eight word processors and we'd spell out the four printers. But because the 14 is above 10 and it's in that same sentence, we go with the rule of the, of the larger number, the 14. And because 14 is going to be in figures, we need to put all three of them in figures so that they'll be coordinated for that particular sentence. Rule number three, of course, we always use figures to express the date and the time. He will arrive on Delta Flight 418. Of course, we always use figures for that flight number. At 9, colon, 48, always figures for the time it's coming in on March 14th. Now, and of course, 14 is always figure because it's a date. I, I think it's interesting that when we read that sentence, he will arrive on Delta Flight 418 at 9.48 a.m. on March 14th. We say the TH on the end of 14th, but we don't type TH on the end of 14th. We say it, but we don't type it. The only time we put the TH on 14 is if we put the 14th before the month, like that uh, uh, Delta Flight is going to arrive on the 14th of March, then you would type in the TH. You wouldn't just say it. You'd type it in. Same thing with uh, um, like if you were putting the, the quiz on the 18th will be on pages 11 to 18. The 18th, you didn't mention the month, so you do put the TH there. So you use the TH, when it's before the month, when the 14th comes, or whatever number it is, I'm just using 14th as an example, when it comes before the month, or when the 14th is by itself without the month. Any other time when, when your date follows the month, you do not put the TH on. Except for formal writing, you know, the ceremony took place the 5th of June. F-I-F-T-H, now we're talking about formal writing of June, at 11 o'clock. And, of course, when o'clock is used, we always spell out. Uh, that's another exception to the rule. When the word o'clock is used, we spell out the number. In this case, it's 11. Um, rule number four, use figures for house numbers except house number one. And in all my years of teaching, I would always ask my class when I taught this rule, how many have house number one? And you know, I've yet to find somebody that had house number one. 
Maybe there's someone out there. There's got to be some house number one somewhere, but I don't know where they're at. But anyway, if you happen to have house number one, you'll want to spell that out, capital, capital two, capital O-N-E for your house number. Everyone else will use figures for their house number. My home is at 4059 Vernon Drive. My office at 1, spell out 1, Weber Plaza. Uh, Bonnie said today that she once lived on 10 Brown Street, so that's the closest I've ever found anyone getting to number 1. But she would still have to spell hers out. Or she would have to use figures for hers because of that bad one. Excuse me. Number 5. Use figures to expect, uh, express the measures and weights. And, of course, uh, that's kind of understood. Uh, if uh, Glenda is 5 feet 4 inches, we're going to use figures for the 5 feet and the 4 inches. And if she weighs 118 pounds 9 ounces, we're going to use figures for both of those. Rule number 6, use figures for numbers following nouns. Rules 1 to 18. Rules, by the way, is the noun, and it is capitalized, even if it's in the middle of the sentence. Review rules 1 to 18. We'll capitalize rules, and, of course, we'll use figures 1 to 18. In Chapter 5, chapter, of course, is capitalized. It's a noun, and, of course, the number following that noun is going to be figures. One exception to this rule is pages. Pages is not capitalized, even though chapter and rules or case or volume would all be capitalized. Pages is not. But the figures following pages, of course, will be used the number row for those. Number seven, spell and capitalize names of small small numbered streets, Uh, 10 and under. First Street, Second Street, Third Street, T-H-I-R-D-F-O-U-R-T-H, F-I-F-T-H. Spell all those out up through 10. Once your street gets to 11, you start using the figures, the number row. And in this, in this case, you might even have two streets in the same sentence. And if one of them is 10 or below, you'll still spell it out. And if one's 11 or up, you'll still use figures. Unlike the previous rule where we were talking about desks and chairs, you want them to be consistent in every sentence, either all figures or all spelled out. This one with the street numbers, is, is street names is okay to have different. You can have 7th Street, she took a taxi to his home on 43rd Avenue. So 7th spelled out and 43 with figures. This one's a, one that the students always kind of were fascinated by. Spell indefinite numbers. Indefinite meaning not precise. Like, for example, Joe owns one acre of parcel A. So one is, is definite. It doesn't say about one. It says one. So it's, um, it's, spelled, it's spelled out. Almost 50%, almost 50% is not concise. It's about, almost, approximately. So we're going to spell that out. The one, I'm sorry, should have a, it should have been, uh, have a 
figure because it didn't stay about. Nearly 70 members. Nearly 70, see it's not definite, so we're going to spell out S-E-V-E-N-T-Y. Um, 20, over 20%, that's approximate. It's, 20, it's over, we don't know how much, so we're going to spell out 20. But exactly 20% of the students, then we're going to use figures. Okay, that's my number rules uh, that I preached for how many years. And uh, Bonnie, what what else? Is there something else you can think of? Right? Uh, how how much time do we have left? Well, let's see. Okay, we probably have about. I would imagine we have about twenty minutes. Um, one of the this is one of the reasons I got fascinated with this is because of the number rules. The idea of consistency, and there is a lot of consistency in the English language. Um, there really is. Um, and if we know the rules, then we really know what to do in most in- instances. And when Velma was telling me about the number rules one day, she said, well, there are rules about numbers, and she said, but they're rarely used anymore. Probably you wouldn't be interested in them. In them. And I said, yes, I would, Velma. Please tell me, tell me. I practically had to beg. And um, it's just really fascinating to have this open up to you, and I know some of this is probably material that, that some of you know, and maybe much of it is, but for me, some of it was new, and that's why I wanted Velma to share it. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, Velma, um, uh, you talked about italics. Is, is, are italics the same, and then we'll turn it over for questions, are italics the same as um, capital letters, and how do you do italics? No. Are they italics, underlined? No. Italics is... Um, uh, you, you have you would uh, you know your hand commands your your control commands and I don't mm-hmm. know all those whether it's maybe control I, but the the letters are a little slanted, they're more slanted. They're not as straight up and down as as the nor- the letters normally are. So it makes them stand out more as being different. And okay. uh, of course, uh, if. If you're using the mouse, you click on a button, but I'm sure there's a control that uh, someone would know what it is. Someone might probably have that in I'm guessing about control I. Okay. All right. Well, at this point, we will turn it over for for questions. And, Velma, this has been a fine presentation. I think you organized this really, really well. And uh, before we go to the computer room, I would like to give uh, a person here who wanted to come tonight specifically for this a chance to ask a question, and that is Nancy Scott. Nancy Scott, do you have a question? I'm here, and yes, I do. I, it was interesting. I learned a few things, too. Um, can so. you talk about periods at the ends of sentences? Is it always one space now, That's or is it still two sometimes? When I started teaching, and up until the real computer age hit, it was two spaces. All of our software, all of our textbooks, it was and it was an error when you didn't have those two spaces between all those sentences. And I would judge very close on that. But within recent years, with the technology becoming so prevalent, either is acceptable now, one or two. In fact, we went to competition. Those rules for competition, they accepted both. 
either one is correct. And I, so I'm finding now myself, just like the rest of the world, we're finding shortcuts. I said I would never go to one because it was so ingrained in me. But I'm finding I'm using one more than ever. <laughs> that was one of the first things she told me. We want to be consistent, though. We want to be consistent. I think that's very, very important. If you're going to be doing uh, a document, you'll want to make sure you're either going to be a one space at the end of every sentence or you're going to be a two space. So you're not going to do some one and one two, some two. You're going to be Anything consistent. else, Nancy? Uh, just a clarification, maybe, in print. Um, can you describe ellipses? I, I, I normally think of them as all the dots being together, but I think from what you said, that's not true. And a lot of them do show dots together. Yes, it's, it's misused a lot. But the real way is to have a space between them. And whenever I see that in print, when they're not, the space isn't there, I think, oh, don't you know that? But if you have a sentence ending, let's say, in the word, um, um, let, me, let me think of a word, uh, winter, winter. After the R, space one time, then put a period, then another space, then a period, then another space, and then a third period. And if you're, if it's in the middle that you've dropped some of this uh, quote, then one space after that third period, and then continue on with the rest of the quote that you wanted. There, so there's a space before and after each one of those three periods. But if it's at the end of the four sentence, then we're going to still space after the word after your last letter base one time period space period space period space and your fourth period now you're at the end of your sentence and if you're putting two spaces at the end of your sentences then you'll space twice if you're putting one period or one space after your period at the end of a sentence you'll space once and then go on to your next period, next sentence is that making any sense yes yes is it Okay, I hope so. I tried. And you, to. Have, and you would have, you would have just the two spaces at the end of the uh, at the end of the sentence after you finished all the periods of if, the spaces. If you wouldn't using, have two spaces between each. If you're using two spaces at the ends of sentences, as yeah. I said, we're going to be consistent. We're either right. going to with two after all of our sentences or one after all of them, and you'll use whatever you've been using in that paragraph. But there will just be one before you start your next sentence, if you're using one. Yes. Okay. Well, at this point, we will turn this over for questions. So if any of you have questions for Velma, she put a, a lot of time and effort into this, and I, I just want to say I really, really appreciate it. Uh, um, we will do that now. So I will turn this over. I don't know who's doing well, questions. Well, can I go? Can I, can I do a question here? Sure, you can, and then we'll... And then we'll all right. Yes, you can. And then okay, I'm talking about okay, talking about periods. Now I know that now postal codes have cha postals in like states. Now it's no more M O period or the but right. they've taken all the periods out of the state abbreviations. But what about like and that's L why you see that's why because the automated equipment doesn't read any punctuation. Right, and they're all supposed to be in all caps too. Right, the M, M Missouri is capital M, capital O. Yes. 
But what about something like L.A.? Well, that's really not a state abbreviation. It's well, it is if you're talking about Louisiana, but for Los Angeles or any city, how is that well, supposed to be right? Uh, it depends on where you're using it. And now, uh, you're not going to use it on the envelope because it'll need spelled out. Yeah. Okay. Right. It'll because it's a city. It'll need spelled out. States we don't have to spell out, but the cities we still have to. Um, so your abbreviation LA. You could still use in in a sentence, and you could put, you know, because everybody pretty much knows what that is. That's yeah. kind of a standard abbreviation, L.A., right. mm-hmm. and you could make it both caps. I, I don't think people would be as apt to recognize it if it were lowercase. Oh, no. No, it would have to be capital L, capital A. What about, do you put capital L, period, capital A, period, without a space? Or do or you put... Or do you put? You don't space? put a period. Oh, oh, Los and oh, Los Angeles. For Los um, Angeles, the, they're doing away with periods a lot. The shortcuts are, are the L A. But it wouldn't be yeah. wrong to put the L period A period. It wouldn't be wrong. Yeah. Okay. So it, it would probably be more right than without. Right. Okay. But uh, we're we're accepting of a lot more things now than we used to be. A lot more yeah. shortcuts. Okay. Thank you, Nancy. Now let's uh, turn it over for questions for people on the computer. And um, this is Bob from California, and my first thoughts is I want her back because she could lecture an hour on any of these. I think of the many rules that I have broken uh, <laughs> and standard. Uh, I won't go through them all, but my questions are two part. One, full caps on my address. Obviously, with the numbers, there wouldn't be full cap, correct? I have a long list of numbers on my address. and uh, the, But the street and the city, all of that, full caps and no comma. We always yes, were right. on uh, Chatsworth, comma, California. And you'd put yes. CA and all that, and then the zip code, correct? And no, second, no. whatever happened, good old double space. Like you're writing right. word, all that's out now, too, right? Double spacing. I, was, I learned that when I took typing, too. Double spacing in what? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Okay, go ahead. Now, double spacing, I couldn't quite hear what you said about the double spacing. I'm not sure I did either. Bob, could you repeat um, what you said about the double spacing, and then Velma can give you an answer. Okay, what I said, what I said was, is double spacing out? I learned that. As a youngster typing, and I love it. It's uh, it's sexy like the colon in Braille. I love the colon. I'm glad you went over that one. But double spacing, is that out too? No. Uh, is it okay to answer him now? Uh, now it is. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, no, double spacing is not out, but it's used for reports, research papers, uh, thesis, dissertations, that type of thing. It's not used in any letter or correspondence, uh, emails, but it is still used in your reports and research papers. Yes, I like double spacing too. And uh, but uh, of course, a lot of times now it's it's the shortest. But for your emails and letters, single space. For your documents that other people are going to be reading such as research papers, yes, we're still double-spacing. And back to your envelopes, it really seems strange when you first start of 
putting that caps lock down and put your names and your addresses and your all your uh, abbreviations. There's no periods after them. There's no comma after the city or the state. Uh, and now that's another thing. Before the zip code, uh, back years ago, we needed to put two spaces before that zip code. And now they've let up a little bit on that rule, too. One or two are both acceptable in our competitions now, both uh, one or two spaces before that zip code. I think part of his question was also, Velma, what you do with numbers in an address if you have a lot of numbers. Are they in all caps? Is everything in all caps? Well, once you put your all caps uh, key down, those right. numbers are still going to type. It, it's only going to affect your letters. Your numbers are still going to be there. And, of course, I don't know whether you'd like to use your, uh, your keypad on the right of your typewriter. I like to use that for numbers because I use both the top row and the keypad, but you can reach over there and put your numbers in your address from your keypad if you choose. Okay. All right. Um, we can go back to another question now. Okay, Marsha, I believe you had a question, please. Uh, thanks, Bob and, and Velma and Bonnie. Great job. Um, Thank you. Okay, I, I have an apostrophe question here. Okay. Uh, say I was going to invite everyone over to the Moseses for Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, that's, uh, that's my last name. And uh, is that M-O-S-E-S apostrophe S? And also one other apostrophe question. Uh, back in school, uh, we always learned that at some points you used uh, S apostrophe. Is that still being used? And if so, in what instance instances is the S apostrophe used? Okay. Well, hold on. Okay. This this Moses is an interesting one. If you have one syllable in your last name, like James. Then you add apostrophe S, James's address, or Jones's. Jones has only one syllable, apostrophe S. But if you have two syllables, like Moses, Moses is two syllables, we just add apostrophe after it. So I hope that makes sense. So your Moses will be... M-O-S-E-S apostrophe. Moses address. But it's pronounced Moses's, but, um, well, Moses. Uh, No, Moses address. But it only has an apostrophe after it. Now, the S apostrophe, yes, it's still used. It depends on whether, you know, when you're looking at showing possession, you have to decide, am I talking singular or am I talking plural? For example, uh, girls camp. Girl is singular, but how many is going to be going to that camp? There's going to be lots of girls going there. So it's going to be G-I-R-L-S apostrophe. Um, uh, But if girls bicycle, 
and there's only one girl that owns that bicycle, G-I-R-L, apostrophe S, girl's bicycle. I hope that's clear. One girl is apostrophe S that owns the bicycle. But girls camp, more than one girl go to the camp, so it's S apostrophe. Uh, same way with uh, um, be some other, uh, well, then, then a woman's watch. One woman owns that watch. The woman, W-O-M-A-N, apostrophe S. Woman's watch. Uh, uh, ladies' watch. L-A-D-Y apostrophe S because that one lady owns the watch. But if we have ladies' watches, more than one lady there, the plural of lady is L-A-D-I-E-S, then we add an apostrophe. So I guess the rule is if the singular ends in an S, you add the apostrophe. But if it doesn't end in S, you add apostrophe S. Cool. Now, um, but there are some exceptions, like, like men. Men is plural. Man is singular. Man's shoes, M-A-N apostrophe S. But men is plural, and it doesn't end in S. So we add a, still add apostrophe S for men. Man's and men's is both going to be apostrophe S. And, One of those uh, nasty little tricks in the English language. <laughs> I hope I answered your question. Wonderful. Next question. Okay, Sally McGuire, I'm going to give her because she's off mic says, what about complementary clothing? Must you have, must they be uh, on different lines, the compliment sincerely, and then your name below it on the next line? Or can you say sincerely, comma, Sally McGuire? Okay, I didn't talk about letters, did I? I guess I didn't know whether anyone was still using letters, but there are times that we need to do a letter. The complementary clothes. After your last paragraph... Uh, after your last paragraph, we're going to enter twice so that we have a blank line between your last paragraph and your complimentary close. And, of course, it used to be yours truly. When I went to school, it's always yours truly, and that's outdated now. You don't want to ever use that now. You want to use sincerely or sincerely yours, and then you want to enter four times, four times. That gives you three blank lines there, and supposedly you are to sign your name there. But now um, some people are getting away from the signing of the name, uh, and if that's the case, you want to leave one blank line and then type your name. But the traditional way is to enter four times, leaving three blank lines, type your name, and sign it above your name above your type name. And uh, letters now, of course, we're not indenting paragraphs anymore. Very rarely do you see a letter now with indented paragraphs. Uh, about the only place we're indenting now are on reports and research papers 
where we're double spacing. And you can see why, because uh, that way we know when we start a new paragraph. That indention tells us, because when we're double spacing, we don't put any extra spaces between the paragraphs to show us where one paragraph ends and another begins. We just keep double spacing and double spacing the whole thing. So the indention only tells us that's the only way we know when a new paragraph is going to start. But in a letter, we're not going to indent anymore. We're just going to enter twice at the end of each paragraph and uh, not indent. Now, um, salutations are still being used, okay? Uh, Dear Mr. So-and-so or Dear Mrs. So-and-so, never put a first name in a salutation if it's a business letter. Only if it's a personal letter would you put a first name in. It's dear Mr. last name, dear Mrs. last name. Enter twice, and uh, then uh, if you're putting a subject line, the subject line should be in all capital letters. And then enter twice again and start your paragraph. A subject line isn't required, but it does go a double space or enter twice after your salutation if you're going to use it and then double space again and start your first paragraph. Any other questions? That's good, Doma. Okay, good. Yeah, we have two more, and we'll make them quick here. It's getting late, I know, in the east. Asina Anderson has a question. Yes, thank you so much for this presentation. I still have a question about ellipsis, ellipses. I was taught that the first period connects the word to the ellipsis so that the last letter has no space after it before the first period. And you're saying that there's always a space after the end letter in the word for the beginning of the ellipsis? There, there have been in the books, the textbooks that I've been using, yes. Yes, there have been. Uh, that space has been there to, so that every, do, every period in the ellipsis has a space before and after it. Now, uh, I'm just going by my textbooks. Hmm. Okay. She says maybe, yes. Maybe, maybe a different publishing company might have. Uh, <laughs> no, that's that's possible. There are some publishing companies that differ in things they cover. Maybe that it's another it one of those instances where it can be where there's some discretion as to whether you use one way or the other way. That that is, and uh, I. I'm sorry to hear there's some controversy there. Yeah, because that, that's confusing. That is well, confusing. it involves academics. They have to drum up some controversy, Thelma. Yeah. That's yes, part of what so. they do. Okay, yeah. next question, last question, I think, for tonight. Yeah, and, I, and to add to this, I, I think sometimes Braille, reading Braille, and then as we find it later, I don't know if she knows Braille, that ellipsis no. is kind of wild. I think it's what is it, an apostrophe, Bonnie, or something. But anyway, and it I wasn't, a, you know, apostrophe face 
blah, blah, blah. They go, go right across the page. But I'll do what you say because, uh, you know, I believe you. <laughs> uh, Don, <laughs> last question of the evening. Don? Yes, uh, I'm glad I recorded this. There's so much. Um, when you have a, a sentence ending with a quotation, does the period have to go on the outside? It seems, I mean, on the inside of the quote or on the outside? It seems more logical to make it on the outside. The periods and the commas at the end of a quote go inside the quotation mark. Periods and commas go inside the quotation marks. Yes. So I have another question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I hope that was clear because, and then you have your period, quotation mark, and then your one or two spaces, whichever you're making at the end of your sentence. Thelma, if you're doing, uh, if you're writing a quotation uh, that, in, that involves a question um, in a sentence, let's say maybe you have two, um, do, do you put, um, how, do you, how, do you, you, how do you do the punctuation for that? The question mark? Yeah. Like if you, yes. like if you, have, a, if you have a sentence that might have two questions in it, like uh, it's like an either and or situation, like uh, how would you do the questions and quotes in that situation? Yeah, are both are both uh, sentences a part of the quote? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so so you put your quotation mark in front of the first sentence, and then you put your question mark in and space one time after that question mark, and then continue with the next sentence and put your question mark and your quotations after that question mark. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, Bob, I guess that's it, unless uh, this is up to you. I know it's getting a little bit late here, so whatever is your pleasure here. Uh, well, I want to say thank you to Velma for coming on our special program series. I hope she knows you know that you have an open invitation with us. You're truly an outstanding educator, and uh, all of you guys are listening to a truly master teacher. Thank you so much for coming this evening. It was my pleasure. It was very important. And I would certainly like to add my thanks to Velma as well. Uh, this has been in the planning for quite some time, and um, it took a little time to persuade her, but I, I knew she would do a wonderful job. One of the things that we can say about a lot of teachers is that they're very committed, and sometimes I think they worry uh, more than their students probably ever did about whether when they're in a teaching role, whether they will come through. And they, they probably wish their students worried half as much as they do. But uh, I've learned a lot about teachers and spending time with teachers. So thank you, Velma, very, very much. You did an excellent job. And I'm, as I said, I knew I would be very proud of you, and indeed I am. Oh, thank you. It was, it was such a pleasure. And uh, I appreciate it. It was a, an attentive audience, wasn't it? Yes, it was. They were. I knew it would be. Thank you, everybody.